welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is January the 12th, 2020, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, for us here at the Defender Podcast, Happy New Year. This is our first live show for 2022. And one of the things that we want to do today is look back at some of the high water things that happened in 2021 that will continue to impact and affect ministry in 2022. And really just talk about where Lifeline is going uh, and what we see for Lifeline in 2022. One of the big things that we want to tackle right out of the gate uh, is some of the abortion news that's come out of the Supreme Court both a decision that was made on the Texas heartbeat bill at the end of 2021, as well as just some uh, ideas and some things that we see around the Dobbs versus Jackson healthcare case that was tried at the 1st of December. And so before we bring on Dr. Rick, I want to remind you about our how to fund your adoption ebook. You know, a lot of times when we go into new years, we obviously have goals, we have aspirations, we have things that we want to do. And maybe for you and your family, one of the things that you wanted to look in to doing in 2022 is is look into adding to your family through adoption. And we want to help you know that uh, you can do that and, and we can help you find your adoption. We put this adoption ebook out there for those seeking to adopt to be able to help you financially prepare for your journey. It's filled with tips, resources, contact information for grant organizations, and so much more. To receive this ebook, or to learn more, you can always go to lifelinechild.org or look at our show notes for more information or a link to this ebook. It doesn't matter if you're considering applying, if you're in the application process, or if you've already applied, this ebook can help you fund your adoption. Well, Happy New Year, Dr. Rick. Grateful that you are back and that we're back together for the Defender Podcast. And wow, first and foremost, 2021 was certainly not the year that I think any of us had imagined. I, I remember when we were sitting here at this point a year ago, there's pontification of the end of COVID, of the return of civility, of, of all of these things. And if anything, we certainly have not seen that. But even with the ministry, we've seen tremendous growth throughout 2021 that I know you and I want to discuss, but we've also seen uh, some really monumental decisions made at the Supreme Court on behalf of life and what I think you and I both believe could be future monumental decisions from the Supreme Court. Yeah, you know, I, it's, it's really funny, Herbie, that, that we, um, you know, kind of the theme of 2021 for us was just um, rapid change. And we, we kind of felt like personally as a ministry, we were, uh, we were seeing the Lord do a lot of things that were changing us, not changing us as far as our, our values or our mission or, or those sorts of things, but, but changing the position from which we pursue those things. And, and so that change, you know, we kind of felt like all of 2021 was just a series of adjustments and a series of changes. Um, 
and as we kind of float into the, you know, into the holiday season and, and get ready for Christmas, um, we, we had a couple of, you know, maybe what could be termed as judicial Christmas presents that were, you know, that were delivered along the way. First of all, um, you know, at the beginning of November, when the court took up the, um, the heartbeat bill in Texas and, um, you know, agreed to hear that in, in a very short amount of time and, um, and then really signaled the fact that, um, that that they're you know the winds of change are blowing because they because they refuse to um you know to strike down that law in texas and i and i think um you know for for those of us that have watched the court and have prayed for you know the lord to do something about the about access to abortion and the legality of abortion in america it 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 really um was a was a moment in time and kind of a point in time where um, where we really feel like something different is is about to happen, and so for the court to leave that provision in place and to allow the the state of Texas and to rule that there's not a that there's not a problem with the constitutionality of Texas enacting a law to further restrict uh, access to abortion within the state of Texas is you know is hugely significant, and so we we kind of heard that and we caught our breath and then. Um, you know, what has been, what has sort of been thought about and rumored for a lot of months in the, in the Dobbs case in Mississippi, which is something that, you know, we're incredibly familiar with just because it's a state that we're at work in and, and have, um, you know, have a lot of, uh, a lot of ministry in and a lot of relationships in. Um, then the court came back at the beginning of December and, and took on the, you know, the Dobbs case. And, and while we're awaiting a decision, uh, it certainly is, uh, you know, it, it's been, there's been no shortage of uh, speculation and commentary and, and really kind of analyzing what the judges said as they, um, you know, as they were questioning and the kinds of questions they ask and those sorts of things. And it really just feels like we're on the precipice of, of probably um, experiencing a, a post-Roe America. And and to consider what, um, you know, what life will be like and, and, and can be like in America uh, in uh, in a, a, a difference that we've not really anticipated in, in 50 years. And so I think it's fitting that as we start to talk about 2022 and and start to think about our future, that we look back a little bit into our past and say this noteworthy thing has happened. And the court has signaled that, uh, you know, potentially we're going to see either a either a dramatic drawing down of the provisions of Roe or possibly the fact that the Roe decision is going to go away completely and, and this decision is going to be returned to the states. And, and we're going to be looking at a much different landscape with regard to uh, the valuing and the protection of life in America. And, and, and so I know for us, that's changed our, um, it, it, it's, it's changed our posture only in the fact that the day that we've been praying for, we, we feel like is almost here. And, uh, and, and so we're, you know, we're now beginning to think about how are we going to minister into a world where, um, you know, where Roe is, uh, is, is possibly not the, you know, the law of the land. Yeah. And so just even taking, let's, let's take these cases first, you know, um, I had the opportunity to be in the nation's capital for oral arguments for both of these cases, uh, the beginning of November for the heartbeat bill. And then, of course, uh, the first of December for the Dobbs case. And for those that don't know, in Texas, the legislator basically passed a law 
giving authority to women to bring criminal charges against any clinic or doctor who performed an abortion after a fetal heartbeat could be detected. So what Texas's bill essentially did is instead of outlawing a abortion or or saying after the fetal heartbeat is detected there there can be no abortion they actually put the onus back on the woman who was receiving the abortion to actually bring those criminal charges against the doctor or the clinic and so this law uh, went into effect and the good news of this law is it has already seen uh, a dram- we've already seen a dramatic decrease in abortions by about 100 babies a day. 100 babies a day right now, Texas is, is believing, have been saved from, from this heartbeat bill. Uh, and, and, and a couple of other things, just in nuances, as Lifeline, as we've served in Texas, we've seen the influence as more women are coming to seek uh, life-giving opportunities. They're coming to know what their options are, understanding that abortion providers are pretty much not providing abortions after the heartbeat because they don't even want to take any chance that they could have criminal charges come against them. The the offside of this, though, is with these women, we have about 24 to 48 hours to help them make a decision for life because they feel crunched and pressured to make an abortion decision. So there are both sides of this coin, which I think for what we would say in ministry in Texas especially means we have to be much more vigilant. We have to be much more uh, available we have to we have to meet women in their need where they are almost an instantaneous matter. And I would just say, even as we pray, we need to be praying for the women of Texas that they wouldn't feel pressure, but that they would make a wise choice for life for their child. So then the, the Biden administration and the Department of Justice uh, brought suit against the state of Texas and the Supreme Court heard the challenge on November the 1st of 2021. And right at the end, like Dr. Rick said, kind of a little nugget, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court did recognize uh, that there was not enough evidence brought before the Department of Justice to find the bill unconstitutional. Now, one of the things that we would want anyone to know about the Supreme Court's decision is they did not just, you know, divorce any future litigation on the Texas heartbeat bill. They just basically said they don't have anything now that would find that it was unconstitutional. And that was an eight to one majority opinion. So the door is still open to this heartbeat bill being challenged, but yet it's a huge win for the sanctity of life in America. And and for it, for nothing else, it shows us the thinking of the nine justices who sit on the highest court of the land. And it shows that there is at least some opportunity, especially that those more six conservative judges would, would look differently and would rule against Roe versus Wade in the Dobb case that we'll talk about in just a minute. But, you know, Dr. Rick, one of the things you and I even talked about at the very beginning, the Texas heartbeat bill on on one hand, it's ingenious because it really does put the onus back on the woman receiving the services. Mm -hmm. However, I know the Supreme Court and, and even folks on the life side were a little bit concerned about how it was written because could a liberal state like California try to restrict gun ownership rights and try to restrict the Second Amendment? Um, could other states try to even restrict First Amendment privileges uh, by doing the same thing, by not overtly attacking them, but doing it through those who had been wronged by someone else's uh, amendment? Now, of course, those of us on the, li- the life side have thought, well, this isn't, there is no constitutional right to abortion. Uh, right. like there are to so many other things. 
Um, and there's there certainly is the ability for that harm that has been caused, not just the injury and harm, not this just been caused against that woman, but has ultimately killed that child that that woman should have a case. So it's, it's certainly not as cut and dry in some regards as Dobbs, because even people on the life side kind of debate uh, the not, not what the law does, but kind of how the law does it. Sure. Yeah. The, and there are some things within that, that I, that I don't think that's the legal the legal ground or the legal precedent we probably want to stand on, you know, in in the long term. But I think it it did signal by the court uh, a willingness to to go back and to reconsider these issues and to, you know, and and the fact that the conventional arguments are not the only arguments to be you know to be had or to be made in in this. I think the other thing that is you know that is somewhat heartening in in that decision is is the court's unwillingness to go back and. And to strike down a, um, a like a, a, a deeper provision, and so this idea that the heartbeat is is the kind of the frontier that Texas set out in law to say this is where this is where we're staking out um, viability, and and they're they're really moving from the you know the definition that has been. Uh, generally accepted in row and Texas actually essentially moved the goal line and they moved it back and said, you know, we, we have evidence and we have confidence that there is, that there is a beginning to life that can be agreed upon that is, that is closer to conception. Um, and so I think for us that are, you know, they're in the, in the pro-life community, part of what is heartening about this decision is, are, are not necessarily the, you know, the legal, um, ins and outs and, and kind of all the legal gymnastics of the decision. It's the fact that there's a, there's a willingness to understand on the life issue that, that life begins at an earlier point than which, um, than which was decided, you know, in row and, and was clarified through, um, you know, through some of the other, um, you know, through Casey and some of the other case law that's out there. And, and, and so I, I think for us, we, you know, there are a whole bunch of us in the pro-life community who believed all along that, that Roe is a flawed decision. We believe it's not based upon constitutionality. We be, believe it was further refined under Casey to be on even shakier ground with regard to the science of, you know, when life begins and, and just, it's a breath of fresh air. I think at this point, just to say that, you know, this actually will be, um, it, it, it will be decided on, on what we know now, not what we knew 50 years ago. And, and really a decision that's, you know, that's inherently, um, not political. And, and I, I think, you know, for us, it, 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 it really, it, it gives us the opportunity then to begin to recapture, uh, much of this conversation based upon life and the creator and, and, and God and, and, and when God gives life and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, perhaps the, you know, even the condition that, that in the future, that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be the argument that's made as we think about how we walk this out legally in our country. So obviously in a sense, Right. The two bills that we're talking about, in some regards, they're 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 not even really that similar. They're a bit dissimilar only because of the rule of law. However, the most important case that came forth was on December 1st, and that was the Dobbs versus Jackson Healthcare, like you said. And, you know, just for a little bit of background on that in Mississippi, 
their legislature enacted a law which criminalized abortion after 15 weeks of gestation. Um, And so this is a law basically that's saying they will not allow, it is criminal, and this is the state of Mississippi stating it. So the onus is on the state, and the state is saying after 15 weeks of gestation, then you may not have an abortion. And this really has changed even a lot of the thinking of Roe when when they were, like Dr. Rick said, looking at the viability of the baby. Uh, Again, I was there, was able to hear these oral arguments, was able to hear from the Solicitor General of Mississippi, the Attorney General of Mississippi, as well as Alliance Defending Freedom's attorney. The thing that I think was really good about this case was that you saw really, especially from the six conservative judges, a lot of of change. I think one of the things that was really the most telling and really was maybe the most encouraging thing was that some of the more moderately conservative judges, which would be the chief justice um, as, as, as well as, uh, as, as others, really keyed in on this issue that don't we know more now than we did before and don't we have more technology and, and even entertain this idea of, of pain in the womb and, and when a child can feel pain in the womb. And, and like we've said before, I, I think, and, and we could talk a lot more about this now, Dr. Rick, but I, I think most people really do see, and we're hopefully optimistic that at the very least, Roe is going to be tampered with and it's going to be adjusted. Even if it's the viability, something's going to happen to Roe. Uh, and of course, we're praying that it'll be overturned and it will go back to the states. Yeah. And, I, you know, Herbie, I think it also is noteworthy that within within the questioning, um, Justice Barrett brought up adoption. And and so, you know, one of the one of the questions that was, you know, that was put forth was about um you know, really kind of this idea. And, and I know even, you know, even you were interviewed by the Washington Post on the on the steps there of the of the court um, with regard to this question of, you know, well, well, if if there are more children born because abortion is is restricted or because it's outlawed in, you know, in states, then then what's going to happen? And are there really families that are out there that will, you know, that will care for these children. And, you know, and I think the, you know, part of the blessing of all this is we've been able to say resoundingly, yes, that, you know, that our experience and, and our, our relationship with the church and, and, and with individual believers within the church is that there is a, there is a significant number of people that are out there that are, that are willing to uh, parent children and, and willing to step in and, and stand in the gap you know, for these vulnerable families and that, that what has for a long time been, you know, a bit of a straw man argument in the midst of uh, all of this around abortion is now really coming to light. And it's really given the church an opportunity to shine. And so, you know, for us personally, as, as a ministry, but, but for the churches we serve and the people that we walk with, I think for us, it's been, uh, this has been a, um, you know, almost a call to arms in, in saying, okay, the day that we've prayed for and the day that we've prepared for is likely here. Um, how do we make ourselves ready in order to 
respond to the needs of women uh, in a in a post row world? How do we make ourselves ready to respond to respond to the needs of families in a post row world? And and how do we not allow the rhetoric of the other side, honestly, to become a self fulfilling prophecy? Um, you know, how do we actually mobilize and we, how do we actually do those things um, in order to live into who we believe that, you know, that God has called us to do? And, you know, frankly, the the part of the story for us of, of 2021 and as we look into 2022 are about those things that that are necessary to be done so that we're ready to to live into a world where where life is valued more. And and where where life is considered, uh, you know, precious uh, in 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 more places among more people, and and in a world that reflects, um, you know, God's ethic and God's ideal of of people created in the image of God, and and so you know, as much as we as much as we major on or, or we think about the arguments around the you know around the, the the legal considerations of this and what the court's doing, I think for us it's a much more practical thing to say um, how do we you know how now shall we live based on you know based on what we see and and it's it's been an exciting time to see the way that the lord is opening doors and and giving us the opportunity to um to work in new places and among new people and to think in you know terms of innovative strategies to be able to get the word out and to be able to prepare and mobilize the body of christ to be ready um, to, to meet the challenge of more vulnerable children and more vulnerable women who, um, you know, who will be in need of, of care. Yeah. And I know kind of on that same subject, but even a little bit different, I know one of the things you and I have talked about is how encouraging it was even to see the pro-life movement around the court mm-hmm. on December 1st. Um, the, the November 1st case, there weren't as many people around the court only because the Supreme Court had accepted the case a week earlier. And so people couldn't really schedule to get there on December 1st. It had been on the docket for a while. And and there was a lot of effort to get people there. One of the first things that I think was just increasingly encouraging is there were two pro-life people to every one pro-choice person out in front of the court. And I think the other thing that we talked about is the demographic. Um, It was such a, a more diverse crowd on the life side, you had all ages from the youngest uh, 900 college students with students for life all the way up to, you know, older. It, it, it wasn't a crowd that kind of looked like the the normal crowd that you would see of, of a conservative button down evangelical crowd, but but a very open crowd, which which, like you said, it shows that life is spreading, that that as our good friend, Dr. Karen Purvis used to say, science even is catching up with the Lord. And people are, are starting to understand that this isn't just a clump of cells. This isn't a fetus. This is a baby that's living and breathing inside of a mother's womb. And like you said, it gives us the opportunity now to reach a whole generation that maybe we've never been able to reach before and, and to really show the opportunity to help them to see life. But one of the things I want to hear want to make sure that we say, especially as we look into going into 2022, and I would hope folks would hear, I hope they hear our excited tone. I hope they hear our optimistic tone on what the Supreme Court might do. But I also want to go ahead and say, hey, if the Supreme Court does what we pray, what we hope, 
what we've been wanting for for a generation. We can't see this as game, set, match, and go home. As a matter of fact, it's almost like this has been the warm-up act, and now we've got to actually do the race. We've got to run the race. We've got to run the marathon. Uh, you know, already states are pandering on both sides. You've got states like where we're coming from, Alabama, who already have an abortion ban on the books. Obviously, Mississippi's abortion ban after 15 weeks would stand. Georgia has a heartbeat bill and Tennessee have a heartbeat bill, dissimilar to Texas, where they're saying from the government, from the state side, we are we are we are disallowing abortion after the heartbeat. But you also have states like New, New York and Illinois and California that have such aggressive abortion laws, allowing abortion literally up to full term partial birth abortion, which is that would be the most draconian and open uh, abortion law, not only in the United States, but in the world, more draconian than North Korea, more draconian than China. Those three states would have the most open abortion laws in the entire world. Yeah. And, you know, and Herbie, I think the the reality is that that part of what we have to consider in the church is the notion that um, that as all of this is playing out, but but with, you know, with greater restriction on access to abortion or with the complete outlawing of abortion, now's the opportunity for the church to shine. Right. Like this is this is the opportunity for the church to step into those places and to to begin to engage and to begin to disciple women who are who are facing um, unplanned pregnancies in in ways that, um, that that we've not had the opportunity, you know, possibly to do previously. And, and so I think, you know, for us, we're um, you know, we, we very much have have thought in terms of and, and really have spent a lot of the last year. Um, trying to put resources together and to prepare the church so that the church is ready to be the center of ministry for this. And, and I think um, now is the time for us to, you know, to make plans and to to put strategies in place to say, how are, how are we going to, as a church, identify these women? How are we going to get to know them? How are we going to begin to live in relationship with them? And and how are we going to have an intentional plan to to not just um, not just evangelize them, not just tell them about Jesus, but to walk with them as as they begin to understand what it means to to walk with Jesus. And 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 I think you know in the past um, that's that's been um, that's certainly been a priority, but it's been a priority at times that frankly it feels like we in the church have you know have sort of outsourced and we've you know we've kind of gone out to other ministries to do that. Well, Lifeline really wants to be at the forefront of saying no, we want to like we want to bring that ministry into the church and and we want to we want to we want to equip and <clears throat> and make fit the church for this task of of being able to um to to leverage the change that's happened in our country in order to be able to point women toward Jesus and point birth dads toward Jesus. It's not this is not just a you know not just a women's issue. It is a women's issue, but but not completely. And and I think we are, you know, we we've spent a good bit of twenty twenty one in putting together resources and in in shaping a strategy that we will um, increasingly roll out and and teach to churches. And and so if you're out there listening and and you're saying we're, you know, as a church and as a people, we're anticipating the the end of end of Roe versus Wade. And we're in we're anticipating a world where where 
life is going to be valued more. Um, Lifeline wants to help you to be prepared for that world, um, both through raising up families who will care for for children through adoption, but also by raising up ministries within your church to 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 minister to vulnerable women in ways that um, in in ways that possibly have not been accessible to us prior to the implications of, you know, these judicial decisions. And, and I, and I think that you're right. Like there are places that we can identify within our country um, that are, this is going to be, this is going to be difficult ministry and it's going to be, it's going to be a war in the trenches, I think to a degree uh, for the hearts and the lives of women as the, uh, as the rhetoric escalates. And, and, and what we want to do is we want to be, uh, winsome and and you know and kind and and also but also pointing to the word of God um, to to be able to stand up for life in those places but more than standing up for life in those places to be able to provide alternatives for life um, that that really give uh, men and women that are that are in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy um, good options to be able to choose life. Yeah, and we need to remember. To that, if this, if the Dobbs case does go the way we feel, like you said, Dr. Rick, the church has got to stand up and got to realize it's not the duty of the government. It's not the duty of humanitarians or the elite to care for the orphan, the foster child, the vulnerable woman, all of these children that will be born. It's the duty of God's chosen people to intentionally show justice and mercy and the kingdom to these women, to their children, to the orphan, to the foster child, to the fatherless. And so we, we really want to make sure that the testimony of, of the church will not be a blind eye. It won't be apathy. It won't be uh, a victory dance and then going home. But the churches will lean in even more and begin to emulate the character of God to these women and to these children and ultimately to the world. And I know for us, we sincerely believe that even as we prepare, Lord willing, for a post-Roe world, that we also realize it's not the role of the government. It's not even the role of the church to raise our children and to teach them truth. And so I pray that as families that have been built through adoption, that have been built through foster care, or have been built even biologically, that we will begin to teach our kids biblical truth, that we will teach them that life begins at conception, that life is made by God, formed by God, and is a gift of God, so that we can start to shape the, the, the minds and the worldview of the next generation so that we won't see our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren come to the same place that our grandparents and parents were in 1973, where they make a horrible decision like Roe versus Wade. And so we need to start teaching and discipling our children and our grandchildren, our aunts, our our, our nephews and our nieces, and those that are in our home and underneath our authority to to love the Lord, to, to understand his word and to know his word so that we truly won't just see something at the court, but that the, the, the way that we respond will start in our homes and through our families. And so quickly as as we kind of end, we want to just highlight some of the things that you're going to see from Lifeline in a, in a kind of a post-row world as we respond to so many of the things that we've seen. And as we look uh, very candidly at some of the opportunities that we've been given. And so one of the first is, is we're looking for ways to be able to serve women in all 50 states. And while it is not prudent, 
nor is it in our vision to get licensed in all 50 states. Uh, we have found mechanisms by which we can work with women going through crisis pregnancies in all states. And really what we need in all 50 states is churches, churches who are ready to wrap around these women as we give them the social service care through a biblical worldview, as we point them to life, as we point them to the options that they have in life. And so, you know, Dr. Rick, again, it's the church. We need the church to step up and we need them to step up in a way that says, I'm willing to mentor and love on these women. Absolutely. And, you know, and just very practically, I mean, Herbie, you know, one of my one of my favorite idioms that I that I use fairly often around here is when when things happen that we prayed for for a long time or that we've anticipated that we don't want to be the dog that caught a car. Right. And that's really what we're, we're saying, you know, here in, in this, we don't want the church to wake up one day and 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 the and the end have come. And then we say, OK, now what? We, we need to be prepared in advance. One of the things we would love to see is if you're in a church out there and, and you're wrestling with this issue and saying we want to care for, for women and for vulnerable children who are who are who are likely to be um, made, you know, like. To, to be presented to us as a result of the change in our country, contact us, let us know. Um, info at lifelinechild.org. We want to hear from you and we want to hear from your church because we want to begin to engage your church in a way to, to help you to take the steps that are necessary in order to be able to, you know, to affect those changes. You know, Herbie, one of the things that I'm most excited about as we, um, as we kind of jump into 2022 is uh, is the advent of a curriculum and a ministry plan called Worthy, which is um, which is really intended to kind of walk hand in hand with this strategy to be able to um, to work with uh, expectant moms all over the country. And and what Worthy is is essentially a, a, a discipleship curriculum and a set of resources that a local church can use in order to to begin to shape a ministry that is attentive to women in unexpected pregnancies and, and to walk with them uh, biblically and practically uh, through their, um, you know, th through their pregnancy. And, and so, um, you know, we don't want to outsource this ministry to the hospital or to the state or to anybody else. Um, we believe that, that ultimately this is, this is work that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be at the forefront of because, uh, because th th these women and their children are created in the image of God. And so at Lifeline, we've tried to take the experience and the things we've learned over the years in, in working with women in unexpected pregnancies and kind of distill that down to something that the church can really use and do in order to be that community. Because, because at the end of the day, um, what we want for for those who are reached through a ministry like this is for them to 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 be in the church and to be discipled and to grow um, and and ultimately to to follow Jesus well as a disciple and that doesn't happen because we as a parachurch ministry or anybody else as a parachurch ministry engages them that happens because they get engaged in the life and work of the church and they become part of the, the local body of Christ where they're cared for, where they're discipled, where they're encouraged, and, and where they're ultimately put on mission uh, to live for Jesus. Amen. Well, 
So you've got that. And then, of course, you've just got the continued growth of this ministry that we see <laughs> as it comes to counseling and education, as it comes to uh, the way that we care for kids in foster care and families count. And Dr. Rick, I'd love for you even to talk about something that's going to definitely take off and grow in 2022, and that's Heritage Builders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Heritage Builders has been one of those things that we've kind of prayed for for a long time. And it, it's it's how do we help the church to engage with kids that are graduating out of the foster care system who haven't found permanency as, as a result of being engaged in child welfare? And so, um, this is a this is a very um, you know a very new ministry for us, but something that we believe in, something we've done globally for a long time. That um, that now the Lord's given us an opportunity to begin to to work with churches here in the U.S. to to see those things happen. And so, how does a church come in? How do they raise up advocates for these kids? I think one of the you know, one of the things that we know is that many kids fall through the cracks when they're graduating out of the foster care system simply because they don't have anyone who is who's really attentive to and and advocating for them. Um, and so, you know, we've we've talked about the things that we do for our own kids when they graduate from high school and when they go to college or they begin a career or those things, the things that we do as parents in making sure that they get off to a good start and making sure that that they have the support that they need and and that um, that they sort of have that center of stability for kids that are graduating out of the foster care system. Most of them don't have those stable adults in their lives that are that are able to walk with them, they're able to share wisdom with them, but also are able to help them practically through some of the difficulties that that are in, invariably going to come as they start to to become adult. And so, what Heritage Builders is about is is about helping the church to be those people. And and so, as as a church, we're sort of stepping up and saying we want to you know we want to get trained, we want to we want to know how. Um, but but with that training and equipping, we want to open the space in our lives to, to be able to be um, a reliable, consistent advocate for, for a, a child. And we want to be like as they're as they're maturing into adulthood, we kind of want to be that home base for them. And 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 what we've seen, you know, already through heritage builders are um, men and women who are all over the church from all kinds of different populations who are who are showing up and bringing their gifts and talents and abilities. So these are some of these are grandparents who have raised their children and raised their families and and their you know senior adults that are that are now coming back in and saying I can take what I what I have and what I know. Um, these are single adults. These are you know married families like all kinds of people who have. Um, who have ability, who have gifts, who have talents um, th that are relevant to being able to, to, to walk with these kids and, and, you know, being able to help them. And, and I think the greatest thing that we, you know, that we realize is, is the, the, the thing that, the thing that you have to have in order to be successful in this ministry is ultimately the ministry of presence. It's, it's not any particular asset. It's not any particular capacity or ability or anything else. It's the willingness to, to step up and to say, yeah, Yes, I want to be a part of the lives uh, of the life of, of, of one of these young adults, and I want to commit to walk with them as they're being launched into adulthood. And and I, as a as a follower of Jesus, um, I want to be that presence of of Christ in their lives um, as they're taking the final steps in into adulthood. And so, um, 
Heritage Builders has been a huge blessing as we've you know been able to pilot that this year and as we've been able to see that get off the ground and uh, and we look forward to you know greater expansion and more churches being able to get involved over the course of this next year um, and and hope that we will make an impact into some of the places where the foster foster care system child welfare system here in the U.S. where there are gaps where there are you know where there are obvious um, limitations well this is a place where the church can step in and really make up for um, a pretty significant limitation. Yeah, and so I think, like you say, something like Heritage Builders, of course, Families Count, which we've talked about several times on this podcast, and then, of course, Harbor Families, which is helping keep kids out of foster care. Brothers and sisters, these ministries will be so crucial in a post-road world as we have more kids that, unfortunately, some will be abandoned, some will be neglected, some will need Uh, other intervention outside of adoption or outside of single parenting by their family. And as the church, we need to come alongside and help these families and help these children succeed. So we're very encouraged as we look forward to 2022. We have so many things that we are going to be excited to talk to you about over the Defender podcast, and we hope that you will continue listening. And so until next week, thanks for joining Dr. Rick and I, and let's be praying the court would rule in a way that upholds life and upholds the creator's design. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.